0: Well, thank you for being with us again. I apologize for the length of our study, uh, our last session. Uh, actually, I squeezed in two. I wanted to make sure we could get uh, Psalm 128 in uh, God's best place of blessing, our home. Uh, but I do apologize for the length. So what we're going to do is we're going to make up for that tonight. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter three. We're going to look at the first part of the chapter. How can we find meaning in life when life is against us? That's the topic. How can we find meaning or value in life when it seems like life is against us? We're gonna look at the first uh, half of the chapter and then we're gonna stop. We're gonna turn off the video and then we're gonna have a discussion among ourselves uh, about how what do we do with all of this so I think you'll see where we go as time as, as this moves ahead but thank you I apologize for last week's length that won't happen today so let's have prayer and then we'll look at this together our heavenly father we are so thankful that we can have the Bible that tells us about life. We are thankful that we know how to think about you regardless of whether we're having a good day or our days confusing to us or hurtful. Uh, you are changeless. You are always faithful, always good. And as we look at this chapter today, we just pray that you'd be pleased to bless us Help us to see what Solomon is trying to get at and help us to know how to find meaning in life when it seems like this world, the life of this world is against us. So help us as we study and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. In chapter three, as we begin, now I was raised in the 60s, I was a teenager in the 60s, none of you were. <clears throat> there was a popular song by uh, one of the, the groups from England, they t- called it the, the British Invasion, they called the Bird's Turn. And all it was, was a quoting of the verses that we're having here. Just, just quoting the verses, thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, it was a protest song for the war in Vietnam, but they just quoted these verses, that was the song. Well, let's take a close look at what Solomon has to say here. Notice in chapter 3, verse 1, his opening statement, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Now, he will explain what that means in the verses that follow, 2 to 8. But we get an idea of what he's going to be talking about when we think of the words seasons. And times uh, we know what seasons are uh, right now we're in fall the season of fall I think it's the greatest time of the year when God begins to paint the whole hillside everywhere you look there is this majestic color and only God can do that it's just beautiful and in the spring he brings back life again but in the fall he just paints so much beauty on to our hills and it's just a wonderful thing but there's fall there's winter we know what comes next Uh, ask my wife what she thinks about snow Uh, she'll be glad to tell you she loves the snow then there is spring there's summer but there are changing seasons we also know about times Uh, there are hours uh, there are days There are weeks, there are months, there are years, changing seasons, changing times. And what this chapter is going to be talking about is the changing seasons and times of our lives and how things change. So let's look at the verses. Let me read them, verses 2 through 8, and notice how he begins to to talk about times and change. Verse two, there is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get, a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate a time of war and a time of peace. Notice when he talks about the changing seasons and times of our life. Now notice again in chapter three, verse one, that last phrase, under heaven, under the heaven. You remember what that means? Life, how people look at life, how they think about life once they have set God aside very man-oriented in thinking and uh, conclusions, feelings. And so as he looks at life, he sees all these changes taking place. And I put up on the screen here, did you notice the extreme contrasts? All of them from one extreme to the other. Uh, The first contrast, a time to be born and a time to die two different experiences Uh, I had the pleasure of performing a wedding for a couple last year at this time an outdoor wedding in October God gave us a good day I was wondering about the weather and one year later the bride is now expecting she has about two weeks before her baby is due she is ready more than ready uh, her husband is kind of nervous, but he's excited. This is the first grandchild for her family, so everybody's all excited. And you can imagine uh, the joy, the laughter, the, the fun that this family is going to have when they have their first child as a mom and dad, and also her parents, and his too, uh, their first grandchild. It is going to be extraordinary. Extraordinary a time to be born, now to the end of life, a time to die. It's quite a contrast, isn't it? A time to die. Everybody loves the birth of a baby. That's exciting, that's wonderful. Everybody's is just, uh, they feel so good. But none of those things happen when you have to lose a loved one. It is not a fun time, it never is. It is difficult, it is heartbreaking, it, it hurts. Two different contrasts. And all of these contrasts are very, very extreme. And he wants us to know, this is what he sees when he looks at life and he's sharing this observation with us. But it's not just that the events themselves are different, extreme, the emotions that go along with them are also very extreme. A time to born, a time to die. We've talked about that. Notice verse verse 4 where it says a time to weep, a time to laugh. Again, emotions. Think of the emotions. Weeping breaks people's heart uh, when they have to cry. But laughter and fun two different emotional swings. A time to mourn, and it has to do with funeral again. A time to dance and celebrate, two different type of things. Uh, Verse eight, a time to love and a time to hate, uh, peace and war. So it's not only that the events themselves are being presented to us, but the emotions that are taking place. These are designed by Solomon to be very, very specific. He's trying to make a point. As he looks at life, his conclusion is that life is totally out of control. That the events in life that come are totally unexpected. Uh, We don't get to choose we can't hide from them they are in a sense they pounce upon us or they good things are good but so many difficult things in this world in this changing world Uh, it's like that we're a ping pong knocked back and forth by the extreme not only the events that take place but what those events do to us personally he says they're just you cannot control life you cannot manage life. You can't make it consistent and reliable and calm. Life does not work like that. And as we, as we look at these, he says that while some are creative and some are destructive and some of these things contrast, in the end, they are imposed upon us. We don't get to choose Now what kind of value, what kind of life, what kind of meaning are you going to have or am I going to have if we're locked up in a world that does this to us? And we know that's what he's thinking because of verse nine, notice the verse. What profit has he that works in that in which he labors? Those two are themes. What profit, what advantage, what do we have uh, labor this exhaustion you work and you work hard for your life but what's what's the benefit when all of a sudden you're having a good day and here comes a bad time that just crashes everything to the ground now how is that possible to have meaning in a world that seems to be so unstable and at times so very cruel it jerks us around I have two granddaughters in college, Taylor and Kaylee, Uh, Sarah and I have these two granddaughters. They are two girls that as far as they're concerned, life is to be ordered and arranged, have a plan. When the semester starts, there's a little tension there because all of these things are happening with courses and expectations and they have to sort through them mentally. They have to think about class schedules, where classes are at and uh, their schedules and how they're going to do things. And they have to have a plan and they have to have order uh, so that they can get through life. And once they have that all sorted out, everything's fine. They're, they're good to go. And they're both great students, they're great girls. But you bring something in from the outside that's unexpected, that just comes out of nowhere that that just kind of crashes into their life and oh what am I going to do now uh, because they like things to be controlled they own a plan they have order they want to know what they're getting into and life is so much better when they work at life that way if you're a person that needs to have order and control to know how things, the day, the week, the year is going to function. If you have to have everything planned out before you do it, uh, this world is going to really frustrate you at different times. And by now, because of our ages, we've all learned uh, that we have to say, like the writer James, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Uh, We know that we can make our plans, but bottom line is, We really have no idea what's going to happen with the rest of our day. And when Solomon looks at this, he's very disillusioned. In verse 10, he says, I have seen the travail. You know, this this awful living in life where things jerk us back and forth. I have seen this travail that God has given to the sons of men to be exercised or exhausted by it and he's disillusioned with God. Um, I think maybe a little angry at God as he writes this. Remember, Ecclesiastes is a speaker or a preacher who calls a meeting so he can teach them. He's trying to teach us about life. He's teaching us what he sees and he knows where a lot of his people are. This is exactly where they are. You know, when the good day, when the days are good, we have no trouble with them, we enjoy them, we just, uh, we remember them, it's great, we don't need God, we don't even think about God, we just enjoy the day and the time. But when there is a bad day, or things crash in our life, then it's easy for people, generally speaking, to blame God, and the pendulum swings, doesn't it? In this particular passage, He sees that life in this world is totally out of control and often life is against us. But notice on the screen, what he's saying again, notice verse one, to everything there is a season, a time to every purpose, here's our phrase, under the heaven. This is how people look at life when they've set God aside. This is what they think about life when things happen that they're not expecting, Uh, when things hurt totally unexpected, this being jerked around by life, having good, and then all of a sudden everything crashes and life is against them. This is how they view it, this is how they think about it, and this is how they feel about God, that God really has disappointed them and done some things that are wrong. And that's the first part of the chapter. Now, fortunately for us, he now begins to bring God into the picture. And he tells us in verses 11 through 14, there is another way to look at life. There is another way to live our life, even with the changes that take place in our lives and not feel so discouraged and hopeless and so much despair. There is another way to look at life. Did you notice that that as he was describing the first few verses of this chapter, and it really has been most of chapters one and two, seeing life under the sun or under heaven, just the way men see it when there is no God. Have you noticed that he's almost presented himself as a victim, Uh, a prisoner in a world that he can't control and he can't get out? He's, he, life is just unfair, it's, it's hard and uh, he is being beat up and there's no, nothing to do except uh, to just be despondent and this hopelessness and that's what we see him and that's what a lot of people, unfortunately, they struggle with life, they set God aside and it just doesn't make sense, it's just hard to live. There is another way to look at life and again, bringing God in to encourage them to find meaning and purpose, even when they think life is against them, and it's been hinted at in verse one, chapter three, verse one. There is a God in heaven, and when we look, lift up our eyes to Him and see Him. Oh, that changes everything! There's a God in heaven who is control of everything that takes place in this world, everything. Uh, This world is not random. The things that take place in our life are not random. And we are held in the hands of a God that we can call Father because of our salvation in Christ. That changes everything. And when we see God for who he really is and know that he is there for us and that we can rest in him no matter what happens in life, Life will have meaning. We'll be able to live and get beyond the moments that that are so, so difficult at times. And as he concludes the next few chapters, what I want you to see is that when life is against us, God is there for us, and what he does in these next few verses is just phenomenal. And he's, he's already hinted at this. Notice again, verse 1, everything to everything, there is a season, a time to every purpose under heaven. God, when he created the world, created specific seasons. They are reliable. They're always here. They're always on time. There is a regularity. There is a structure that he built into this world for our good times and seasons, we have 24-hour days, days, weeks, uh, months, and years, things that are constant so that we can have a little handle on how to use things. Again, structure for our good. He's already hinted at this, and now he's going to make it very clear. God is the one who structures our life, just like he's done nature, just like he's done for day after day. And not only is he there to control things, the word providence, if you're not familiar with it, a Bible term, uh, teaching, that all the events of our life, whether they're good or bad, are are in the hands of God who sees them, who understands them, and is using them for his glory and our good. Romans chapter 8. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is constant, and nothing will separate us from that. No persecution, distress, crisis, peril, you name it. It's all listed there at the end of the chapter. But right in the middle it says, in this present world we suffer. There are times that's very difficult. And yet God will help us not only to get through it, he will care for it, and we will see the truth of chapter 8, verse 28. We're all familiar with it. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God knows what he's doing. And in the end, we will see that. But here's all the events of your life are in the hand of God under control of the one you call Father. You are not on this earthly journey alone. Life is is not random. And now notice what he says, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. When life seems to be against us, we need to remember that God is our friend. He is not against us. And in time, he will take the very difficult and he will change and he will work in our life, in our circumstances, and bring us again to days that are good. And the Bible is full of examples of this where people are devastated by things that happen, challenged by things that happen, and then they see later as God works in their life and in their life, God knew what he was doing. God is our friend. We're not in this alone and it's just a wonderful thing. He's reminding us that our lives are not random, that the events of our life are not random. We need to understand what chapter 3, verse 1, is really saying about God. God, the one who is in control, the one that you call Father, the one that you, you belong to Him. He loves you. That's why He sent Jesus into this world so that you can have a Savior. It says about God in our life to everything. There is a season, a time to every purpose, because God has made it that way. And we'll see that, but the first thing emotionally, when things are difficult, remember that God is your friend. And notice verse 11, and he has sent eternity in our hearts. He has set eternity in our hearts some of your bibles may have the word world but it's ages eternity god has set eternity in our hearts and we know that it's there he's reminding us that each of us we know that life we have in this world is not all there is to life the life that we have in this world is very small compared to all the time that we will have in eternity God himself is eternal. He fills eternity. And so he's making a comparison, but we know that there is another world. We know that there is a God. We know, the Bible tells us, we've learned it. He loves us. He cares for us. In this phrase, we were being reminded that each of us has the capacity to know God personally. Each of us has the capacity to love God, to be close to God, to walk with God. And in this particular verse, he's reminding us of that. God has set eternity in our hearts, and no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to end. There's kind of a puzzle here. God has put eternity in our hearts and all that that means. But he's also veiled eternity so that we really can't see all the things that God's doing for us right now. We, we just can't see it all. Well, Why did he do that? Why did he let us know that there is eternity? He's there for us and not let us see all these things now. Well, it's so that we would trust him. And here is why the book of Ecclesiastes is a part of our Bible. In the book of Proverbs, the message is very clear. Be wise, honor God, do what's right, and you will be blessed. If you ignore God, bad ending, bad life. Do the right thing, honor God. Everything will be fine, you will be blessed. It's just black and white. And that theme is dominant in the Old Testament. That's what God said to the nation of Israel. You do these things, you do what's right, you will live. You don't, you will die. That's pretty much what he said. And it's clear, it's just black or white. Do the right thing and everything will be okay. Along comes the book of Job. Job, who is a very godly man, a righteous man. He's walking with God in a wonderful way and all of a sudden his life collapses. And we know why from reading the first couple of chapters. And his friends come, you remember his wonderful friends, and the first thing they say is, okay, Joe, what did you do wrong that God would do this to you? Because no one has ever seen the righteous suffer It's only when wicked people and people who do wickedly, that's when we see suffering. So Job, what did you do? Fess up. Confess. What did you do? And he says, I didn't do anything. And he didn't. The book of Job reminds us that although the book of Proverbs is true, you do what's right. God will bless you. God will take care of you. you You'll be glad for your life, black and white. There is a part Of life that Proverbs does not address. Why do the good in this world suffer? Why do good people suffer? Uh, Why do things happen and there's no explanation for them? Why is it that people uh, have to hurt in this world? Uh, Why are there tragedies? Why are there difficulties? Why are things broken in this world? that's why we have the book of Ecclesiastes where you see life under the heavens or under the sun. That's the way men look at it. When they don't think about God, God's been set aside their reasoning, their thoughts, their feelings. But when you look above the heavens and see God, there's a whole new way to think. And what Solomon is doing is he's challenging people, okay, this is what you see in life. Now what are you going to do about it? How are you going to think about God? What kind of decisions are you going to make about walking with God? Uh, how are you going to process these things? How do you move beyond them? Uh, what conclusions do you make? And he's asking them, choose, choose to live life the right way. And as he continues to build his course, his case, he's making it very strong at the end, at the end of the book. The only way to have meaning is to be rightly walking with God. And we can see that here. He's pointing to that. He wants us to rely upon him and trust him. God has said eternity in our hearts. We know that God is there. We know he is big. We know he loves us. And best we can, we need to trust him or turn to him. And now in verses 12 and 13, when difficulty comes, we are told that life is to be enjoyed. We're not supposed to stop living. We're not supposed to drop out. Notice verses 12 and 13, the last part of the verse after looking at these difficulties. But a man is to rejoice and to do good in his life and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. This is a gift of God. And what he's telling us is that life is to be enjoyed in spite of the challenges or the heartaches or the difficulties. We need to see that life is not over, and that's why he uses the words uh, doing good in life. Uh, it talks about the area of rejoicing and enjoying, seeing the gifts of God. Uh, I think one of the things that would be good for us to talk about, what are the things that mean the most to you? What are, what are some of the good gifts that God has given to you that changes in life will never take away? God is good. He's active, involved, actively involved in caring for us and watching over us. He knows about the details of our life and it takes us back to that home scene in Psalm 128 that we talked about last week. The greatest treasures of life are the simple ones that we have in our homes as a family. God wants us to see that the greatest place of treasures for meaning and value and purpose in life are found right in our homes with God and being thankful for what God has given. And and it makes it very clear here that that this is what God wants us to do. Notice in, in verse 14 that when life is against us, we are also to humbly bow before God verse 14, where it says, I know that whatever God does, it will be forever. There's the control. Nothing can be put to it. It's complete. Don't have to add any parts nor anything taken from it. Uh, It won't be derailed. God's plan, His purposes will not be somehow sabotaged. God has good plans for us. We just don't see it all right now. And then it says, Nothing can take from it what God does. And he does this so that men should fear him or reverence before him. God wants us to trust him enough to bow and say, like our Savior said, not my will, but thine be done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit or I commit my life. When I I am afraid, I will trust in you, the psalmist says. And we are to recognize the greatness and the love of our God and be able just to trust him. Here's a book that I want to encourage that you might want to get. It's it's called Be Satisfied by Warren Wiersbe. It's very inexpensive. It's less than $10. It's very brief. It's very devotional. He doesn't uh, do any exhaustive study, but what he does say is very practical. He's, he's looking for that. Listen to what he says about this. The enjoyment of life, that's what Ray was talking about uh, last week. Uh, the book is written to help us to enjoy life. The enjoyment of life is an important theme in Ecclesiastes and is mentioned in each of the four sections of, from chapters 3 to 10. Solomon is encouraging the practice of enjoying the gifts that God gives us, no matter how difficult life might be. Life may appear to be a transitory, but whatever God does is forever. So when we live for him and let him have his way in our life, life will always be meaningful and enjoyable. Instead of complaining about what we don't have, we need to enjoy what we do have and thank God for that. How can life be meaningless and monotonous for any of us when God has made, a, made us a part of his eternal plan? You are not insignificant, you are not overlooked. As a child of God being prepared for an earthly home, you need to know that if we fear God we need not fear anything else because He is in control and He constantly loves us. So the chapter really presents to us at this point two different thoughts. Life is totally out of control and we can see that from time to time that's what it looks like but not really because God is in control. He loves us. He holds us. He wants us to trust him that when life seems to be against us, God can still take care of us. We need to remember that he is our friend. We need to turn to him. God has set eternity in our hearts. It's not going to be hard to find him. And life is to be enjoyed. And so we bow before God. We learn, we wait, But we are always so thankful that we are not left in this world alone and this is not a world of chaos, just random events. God is ordering and structuring everything that takes place, not only in the world but in our lives. And now we're going to turn the video off and we want to discuss how, if we're in the first section of this chapter, life is falling apart, we're getting jerked back and forth. How do we get from there to a place in our life where we can just trust God?